This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Charcot-Marie tooth disease is a rare genetic nerve condition that affects 150,000 Americans and nearly 3 million people around the world. Though the condition was first medically recognized in 1886, it is without an approved therapy. The CMT Research Foundation has been seeking to change that by addressing barriers to the development of therapies for CMT. We spoke to Susan Rudiger, founder and CEO of CMT Research Foundation, about its efforts to catalyze drug development for CMT, what it's done to address obstacles, and some of the partnerships it's established to advance the development of treatments and potentially a cure. Susan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny, for having me. It's quite an honor to be here with you. We're going to talk about Charcot-Marie Tooth, the CMT Research Foundation, and how a small foundation can catalyze and advance research into a rare disease. Uh, Let's start with Charcot-Marie Tooth disease, which is not a dental condition. (laughs) What is CMT and, and how does it manifest itself and progress? Sure. So CMT is genetic peripheral neuropathy. So it's a progressive disease that affects the nerves in the peripheral nervous system, so anything outside of the spinal cord. Um, It's genetically caused, and there are over 100 genes that have known to cause it, and um, it's progressive. So it starts in your toes and in your fingers, and then it slowly works its way in toward the center of your body. Um, And it can cause pretty mild disability in some people, and in some people it can prove to be fatal. Um, So it's a wide spectrum of, of... disability and varying levels of disability, but certainly one that leads to daily frustrations for patients and can be very um, demoralizing to watch your body progressively lose function that you used to have. We think of the complexity of developing therapies for single gene disorders. How complicated is it to get a diagnosis or develop a therapy for a condition where so many different genes might be implicated? That's a great question. So the good news is that there are four genes that are implicated or four most common types of CMT. Four genes are responsible for 90% of the people who have CMT. Um, And one gene is responsible for over 50%. Um, The good news about CMT is they're all monogenic diseases, meaning that only one gene defect defect is causing the disease, Um, but there are just 100 different known genes now, and many more that are unknown are yet to be identified. Um, But we do have good news that 
the 90% are caused by one of four genes. And good research has been done on that. So applying gene therapy to one of those four types hasn't, there are efforts underway right now for that is a simple way of saying it. Um, and then for some of the rarer types, there are good efforts underway because of the severity or because of the relative ease in addressing it genetically. What's it like to live with this condition? How does it impact daily living? Oh my gosh, it is so frustrating, Danny. Um, I have CMT, as does my partner and co-founder, Pat Livney. Um, so we're founded by patients because we understand how frustrating this is. Um, as a child, I tripped all the time. I knew I was physically different. I couldn't walk on the balance beam. I couldn't jump on a trampoline. I couldn't keep up with my friends when we were playing cops and robbers in the streets. Um, I was always first out in dodgeball and last picked for the sports teams in, in PE class. Um, and so that was sort of my experience when I was little. But as I've grown older, I started falling more often and didn't know why. I went to college in a large college campus and fell on a regular basis just from being tired from walking across campus um, and then needing leg braces to keep me from falling, but then watching my hands deteriorate, you know, fastening necklaces has gotten harder. Um, so I know the progression that's coming. Um, standing up on my tiptoes to grab something off the top shelf in the kitchen, for example, I can't do anymore. But then I come from six generations of people who have CMT. So I can look at my mother, who is mostly in a wheelchair, sometimes in a walker, and I know that's my future. So I know where the progression is going, at least how it's looked in my family. And so there is this impending fear of lack of, of independence. Um, so it can be very frustrating daily. Like I used to be able to reach that thing on the top shelf or I used to be able to fasten my necklace and today I can't. But then there's also sort of that cloak of, of fear of what's coming in the future. Um, and, and I kind of consider myself to be one of the lucky ones, Danny, because I have CMT1A, which is considered the more mild types in, in some types People have difficulty breathing, hearing, seeing. They have tremendous nerve pain, um, and it's progressive. And I know a handful of people who have passed away from CMT from the progression of it impairing their ability to breathe. This is a, a condition that was first medically recognized in 1886, 135 <laughs> years ago. Yet there's yeah. no approved therapies to treat the condition, even though it is among the most prevalent rare diseases. Why is that? You know, it's a great question. And I'll tell you, the first gene was identified 31 years ago. Um, and that's the most common type CMT1A and, and the type that I happen to have. Um, so why 31 years and we don't have treatments yet? I think there are a number of reasons for that. One is there are some real key barriers pharmaceutically to treating a disease like CMT. For example, how do you reach the peripheral nervous system? How do you deliver a drug to every teeny tiny peripheral nerve? How do you measure efficacy in a slowly progressive disease? Is it possible to regenerate nerves that have already died? These are questions that we're working on answering scientifically. And there are big questions that there isn't a demonstrated proof of concept for. So, Maybe the pharmaceutical companies don't want to take that on. But I think the other piece is a piece that can be very frustrating from the patient community, which is 
the lack of awareness about CMT and its severity within the medical community, within the patient community, and certainly within the pharmaceutical community. To give you an example of what I mean here, when I first was diagnosed genetically with CMT. It was about 17 years ago. And my neurologist, who's one of the leading neurologists in my town, said, sure, you have CMT. What do you want me to do about it? Go live your own life. You know, I can't, I can't do anything about it. You go. So I think sort of that flippant mentality of, you know, this isn't the worst disease I see coming across my doorstep. And therefore, you know, and there's nothing I can do for you. So go live your life. It kind of gives this hopelessness that patients have, but also a lack of interest from the medical community. There's nothing I can do for you anyway. And then I think the pharmaceutical company looks at CMT or the pharmaceutical industry has looked at CMT historically and said, you know what, it's not killing people. Um, It's mild. You know, there are diseases that are far more severe that will require our attention earlier. Um, So I think really that nobody's strongly shown a light on the importance of CMT. And it's one of the reasons why Pat and I started the Research Foundation, because we know that there's this lack of awareness and this lack of interest. And we're, we're here to change that. Well, when you started the foundation, what was the, the intent? (laughs) to deliver treatments and cures for CMD. Um, You know, we have one single focus at the Research Foundation, and everyone who works with us, our board, our scientific advisory board, our staff, our volunteers, we're all focused on one thing, and that's funding research that's going to lead to treatments and cures for CMD. Um, So that was our original intent, and it remains our single focus. It's the only reason why we exist. And how did you go about putting together a research strategy? And, and what is the research strategy? Thank you for asking that question. Our research strategy is, is clear. It's what are the key barriers to drug development for CMT? And how can we as an organization overcome those barriers? Um, you know, why do we not have treatments yet? That was the question Pat and I asked each other and then our board why do we not have treatments yet? And then we found scientists in the CMT community and in the drug development community, in the clinical community who could help answer those questions. Why do we not have treatments? And then how do we overcome those barriers? So we've identified four key barriers in drug development for CMT, and we have strategies to attack all four. Well, walk me through those. What are the, the biggest barriers you face? So the first one we already talked about, which is how do you deliver drugs to the peripheral nervous system? Um, If we're talking about, you know, a gene therapy, what we're seeing in other diseases like spinal muscular atrophy is that the gene therapy is being injected into the spine and it's transducing throughout the entire spine, which is terrific and becoming curative for those kids. Um, how do we get a therapy into every tiny peripheral nerve in your fingers and toes and legs and arms, et cetera? Um, so that has been a key barrier that we've identified. And then the way that we've attacked it is by finding partners who focus on delivering gene therapies and saying, can you apply that focus to CMT? Um, let me give you a couple examples for that, Danny. So I went to a meeting with Chris Austin, who was then the director of NCATS over at the National Institutes of Health. And I asked him, Dr. Austin, this is a big problem overcoming the 
the delivery of a therapy to the peripheral nervous system. And he said, Susan, you need to go talk to James Dahlman at Georgia Tech. He is one of the very best in delivering gene therapies to different systems in the body. Talk to him about how to deliver to the peripheral nervous system. And we talked with him and our scientific advisory board met with him. We designed a project, we provided funding, and we started that with Dr. Dahlman. Um, so it's knowing exactly what our clear barrier is and finding all of the people who can do that. Um, so that's one of the key barriers for drug development in CMT. Another one is this problem of, of addressing 100 different genes known right now, and then many, many mutations, hundreds of mutations in some of those genes that cause CMT. And are we going to have to deliver a, a genetic therapy for each individual mutation? I mean, that could be hundreds, maybe even thousands of different precision individualized medicines. Instead, are there ways, are there learnings that we can take from other genetic diseases that we can apply to CMT that have broader um, relatability to either one whole gene and all the mutations in that, or even multiple genes? Are there ways that we can knock it out and replace it with the right thing, one therapy that can address those types? Um, so instead of showing a pharmaceutical company hundreds or maybe thousands of different approaches, showing them a handful and showing how that could have broad appeal to larger groups. How is your organization funded and, and what do you do to get the biggest bang for your buck? <laughs> um, our organization right now is solely funded by the donor community. And what we're finding the donor community to be is mostly the patient community, patients, families, people who have this very close connection to CMT, people who understand the burden of living with CMT and who want to end the legacy that they may have given to their children or to their grandchildren. Um, those are the people who are most inspired right now to, to make donations to the research foundation for us to then allocate funding. Um, so that's who we're funded. I think your second question was how do we make, get the biggest bang for our buck? Yeah. How, how do you maximize the return on what I imagine is a, a limited pool of investment you're working with. It is a limited pool of investment, Danny. But one of the things that we've been able to do is we've been able to provide seed funding to these key partners and then have them earn more or raise more money for CMT. Let me give an example to you and put that in real world. So back to the delivery issue, we identified a company, DTX Pharma, um, we found them at Bio, this international consortium of, of an uh, international conference of pharmaceutical companies. They focus on delivering gene therapy to different systems. Um, we pursued them, had a meeting with them, and said, "Does your technology apply to CMT?" They met with our scientific advisory board and said, "Yes, it does." So we gave them DTX Pharma one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in January of 2019. Eight months later, DTX Pharma received a grant from the NIH to continue the same CMT project for 350,000. And then six months later, closed a series B round of financing for $100 million 
with CMT being one of two lead indications. So they would have never started a CMT program if we hadn't introduced the disease to them and given them the seed funding. But because of that seed funding, their data was so good because their technology was so well suited for CMT that they were able to raise 100 million plus. Um, and now their commitment is to take their drug all the way through to clinical trials. Um, and that's what we do. We're catalytic funding. And that was $125,000 of donor money that is now preparing for clinical trials. You've also gotten involved in a potential gene therapy through work you've done with researchers at the Cypress Institute of Neurology and Genetics and Nationwide Children's. What happened there? Oh, so Dr. Cleopa is well known in the CMT world. He um, trained at UPenn in the CMT clinic, and he went back to his home country of Cyprus and brought that training with him. He um, was funded by other organizations to start two other CMT gene therapy programs. And I met him at a meeting and asked him, congratulated him on his work and asked him, why not CMT1A? You're focused on these other types. Why haven't you applied your technology to CMT1A? And he said, really, it's a matter of funding. And because we're using an AAV, um, we're not sure that CMT1A is um, aggressive enough to get an approval for an FDA approval for use of an AAV. And so, you know, we're not so sure that that's a risk worth taking. And I said, write a proposal. Let's see what it comes back as. So um, 100 grand is what we gave them. And two years later, their technology, and they, he collab Dr. Cleopa collaborated with Scott Harper at Nationwide Children's. And Nationwide Children's is one of the best in the gene therapy world. And they work together to build the right gene therapy, build the right delivery mechanism, test it in the right models of CMT1A, and now they are preparing to have that licensed by a biotech and preparing that for clinical trials. Uh, I want to ask you about one other relationship you forged. This is with AcuraStem. How did that relationship come about and what are you seeking to do there? Sure. So AcuraStem has this really interesting technology where they are taking patient-derived stem cells and they are turning them into motor neurons and then turning um, and then testing different drugs on whether they increase the survival of the motor neurons. And many types of CMT, anything that's labeled CMT type 2, is a motor neuron disease. All the CMT type 1s eventually lead to motor neuron loss. So that's really what causes all of our symptoms. So if there's anything that we can do to make those neuro motor neurons survive longer, that would be a therapeutic to us. And um, it would at least lengthen our, our time of, of higher ability or shorten our time of disability, if you will. Um, so we used patient-derived stem cells, which were blood and skin, and we had them differentiated into motor neurons. And with one project with Acura Stem, um, we are testing approved drugs um, and, and well-established libraries to see if any of those drugs lengthen the survival rate of these motor neurons. 
and that's for CMT2A. Um, again, Acuristem had never heard of CMT before we came to them. And we said, you're, and they were focused on ALS and focused on the motor neuron survival there. And we said, is this relevant to CMT? How can we make it so? And how can we get you guys started on CMT? And it was through expertise from our scientific advisory board and then funding from our donors that brought that together and made that happen. You talked about the way you can leverage your investment by catalyzing research. There's actually at this time a, a fair bit of commercial interest in CMT. There, there's a pipeline of, uh, I think, something on the order of 20 plus therapies in development. As as you move away from needing to catalyze research, are there other ways you found you can support therapies in development? Sure. So we are definitely familiar of all with all the companies who have assets in the pipeline. And we're familiar, we've had conversations with them. What are their barriers? How can we help? And in some ways, it's expertise. In some ways, it's funding. In some ways, it's letting them do what they need to do. Um, but if you're talking to me, a patient who has CMT, and I know the very, very low success rate of drugs under development, I look at a pipeline of 20 and I say, no way. That needs to ha- be 200. It needs to be 2,000. You'll be hosting the first global conference on CMT in Alexandria, Virginia in September. What do you hope comes of that? Well, what we really hope that does is brings the entire global community together because CMT is a global problem. We didn't talk about this, but it's found on every continent. Three million people in the world have CMT. And from the best we understand, it's found in every ethnicity. And so, you know, global problems require global solutions. And this international conference will bring together the global research community to address these key problems and to share the knowledge that's out there and to say, what are the barriers that we're having? Who in this room has solutions to those barriers? And how can we collectively overcome those barriers? So it's taking what we've done at the Scientific Advisory Board, which is about 15 people, and expanding it to the entire global community. Um, CMT is really well studied in China. It's really well studied in Korea. It's really well studied in in Australia and in Europe. And um, how can we bring all those voices to the table with an open invitation to address and attack this problem so we can have treatments? Susan Rudiger, founder and CEO of CMT Research Foundation. Susan, thanks as always. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.